Welcome to Sassy. I'm Annie Merlowski and I'm your host. Each week we share the inspiring stories of female leaders throughout the tech industry. Thanks for joining us as we dive into the inspiring stories of career growth and development from women who are leading technology as we know it. Today we are chatting with Shannon Curran, VP of Marketing at Mad Cadu. Thank you so much, Shannon, for joining us today. Really appreciate you coming on to talk to the Sassy listeners and tell us about your experience as a woman working in the technology space and share a little bit more about your story with us. Tell me a little bit to get us started off of, you know, what's been your career journey and what's brought you to where you are today? Yeah, and thanks so much for having me. Yeah, super excited. So I have spent a majority or my whole career in marketing, but not my entire career in tech. So I came out of art school and went into nonprofits, which is what I had planned to do as a marketing team of one, and then realized I wanted to continue my education. I really wanted to get an MBA. So I didn't want to pay for it though. (laughs) So I was trying to figure out the best way to do that. And that brought me into working in-house at a marketing agency kind of type format at a business school. So I worked at Babson while I went there, which is a business school in the Boston area, which is where I am from. And then I right away, pretty much in that time, realized I wanted to go into tech, kind of took my first class around global technology and was like, I think this is probably where I want to be. It feels like the pace is right for me. I kind of struggled to figure out at the beginning of my career where I was going to excel. And so I ended up joining a private equity owned technology company in Boston called QuickBase, where I went in as a just individual contributor, content marketer, and grew really fast. I was really lucky to work for an awesome leadership team there that really invested in me. I got to be a people manager. And then I kind of moved from content to content and comms to content and brand to integrated campaigns. And it was an awesome experience. Finished my MBA in that time as well, because I was going part-time. And then I had an opportunity in 2021 to join a venture capital firm. And it just felt like an opportunity I couldn't turn down to work for an awesome, actually, woman VP who I loved, who had spent a lot of time in tech and moved to the VC side. It was also a little bit of like a lifestyle change move. I was working a lot and I was, I'd been at QuickBase for a few years. So I was feeling like maybe a change would be good for me. And also I knew I wanted to go back into tech probably after. And so I felt like being in VC was a really great way to be able to evaluate a leadership position at a series A or B after. So was there for about a year and now I am back operating. So I'm the VP of marketing at Mad Kudu, which is a series A rev tech company, helping revenue teams predict and prioritize revenue driving signals, um, which has been really, really awesome, but certainly like trial by absolute fire hose. So it's been, it's been great, but my career has definitely been kind of been a journey for sure. And a lot of those things sound like I have a great story to connect it all now, but a lot of it was just being really open to opportunities as they came to me. So that's fantastic. I think that that's often, you know, how you can grow the fastest is by never closing a door. And it really sounds like that's a little bit of what you've done along your path. Yeah. And I think I was never fine. If folks that know me, I don't have five-year plans. I don't have seven-year plans. I'm definitely a planner. Like I have things that I find are really important to me, but I think about decisions that I make in my life and careers being a big part of that as just, I have a value system and like, I have work that really excites me and the way I want my life to look. And 
does this opportunity align with my values? Does this opportunity align with the stuff that I'm excited about, where I want to grow and where I think I excel? And if that's true, then I, I explore it, right? But if it's not, then I don't. But I definitely wasn't a person that was like, I'm on track to be VP in three years. Like that was not, it's not really my thing. <laughs> so I, but you know, and it came to me and I was really excited about the founders, really excited about the opportunity. So I took it, right? So I think that's, yeah, that's kind of my philosophy around career changing. That's incredible. Well, I guess in that same vein, you know, most of these jobs in tech didn't exist when we were children. So what was it that you wanted to be as a child? And do you feel that that relates to what you do today? Not at all. I, so I spent a majority of my like childhood in my, I, so I always loved, I loved school. So I was a very academic person, but I, I was a dancer and a performer like my entire life. And is the thing that spent, I spent the most time doing. And that's the reason why I went to, where I went to undergrad, I danced 50 hours a week. I danced more than I went to class. I, I didn't go to school for dance, but I spent a lot of time doing it. So I always thought I'd probably spend, like I might go into the arts but, and if I didn't, I wanted to go into like big global nonprofits. I wanted to be, I kind of, when I was in college, I really wanted to be like CJ Craig from the West Wing. I wanted to be a press secretary. So, cause that's what I, I, I loved communicating and telling stories. I didn't feel like I loved writing, which is interesting. Cause I ended up coming up through content marketing, but I was never a person that like, I have a best friend that loves the craft of the sentence and like writing. She wrote a book and she like loves that part. I just love story, telling stories and being able to communicate. I think that's why I loved dance, why I loved the arts and kind of how I ended up falling into the creative side of tech, right? Like that's kind of how I fell into that. But yeah, you're totally right. Certainly content marketing did not exist even when I was in like high school, right? To be able to figure out like, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, it was like, do you want to be in communications, right? For, I know no one can see the video, but I'm using air quotes. So like, which was kind of just like a general, like, you're not a mathy person. It was like the opposite, right? And so, which is funny because most of my job right now is math, but but yeah, it definitely doesn't quite align to where I thought I'd be, but I definitely have the life I really wanted to have, which I think is more important to me in the long run. Well, I, I can draw a connection between the art side and the creativity that you need to be successful in marketing, even if it's, you know, when you kind of get to the hard numbers, like sometimes you have to be kind of creative about how you get there to find those yeah. numbers and think outside the box, which you need that, that background, almost that artistic background to even get to that detail. Yeah, that's for sure. You're right. I think the critical thinking skills of, I've said this before, I felt like when I came out of my liberal arts degree that I had like no skills, like in comparison to my friends that... I had a lot of friends that went to, there's a popular school in Boston called Northeastern where they had like a co-op program and they had like real, like hard skills coming out. And I just knew how to think really well. <laughs> and it's actually served me way better in leadership roles like than I ever thought it would. Cause a lot of that is people looking at you to make decisions. And like, there's no, you know, class that you took in school that can really help you. Like that doesn't give you the answers to that. But if you can build the muscle of being a critical thinker and knowing how to ask great questions, being curious, I think that's actually really helped me a lot more than I thought it would. That totally makes sense. I think especially as a leader, sometimes you have to make decisions on your feet and you yeah. can't just walk away. Every day. Like, no, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> yeah. Like where's the adult in the room? I sometimes look around and wonder, but <laughs> unfortunately it's me. So <laughs> I can relate to that. I feel that on a regular basis. So talk to us a little bit about your work-life balance. Like, what do you do to maintain a work-life balance? And do you think that it's different for you as a woman than it would be for a man in a similar role? 
this feels really present to me right now because I'm eight months pregnant. So that is, it's feeling very, work-life balance is feeling very present to me right now. I've spent a lot of my twenties just grinding. Like I was like, I will work. I'll be the first one in. I'll be the last one out. I'll work the hardest because I loved it too. I just, not because I was like trying to hustle. It was honestly because I was passionate and I cared. And I have found in previous roles that I feel like it, it got inside me and took on, took on a lot of who I was. And then I wasn't able to be sustainable in that way. Right. And I think coming into, especially this job, I've realized that if I'm not like a great version of me, I can't be a great leader. I can't sit in five one-on-ones on a day and like really give them my best or have that clear head to make those decisions on my feet. And so I really prioritize um, my time outside of work. I certainly do work like more than a nine to five. Like I think everyone that works in a, you know, a tech company at this stage is you work weird hours. Like I have every time zone on my team, but I have a very sacred morning routine. I go to the gym every morning. That is not something I kind of don't do. I'm on the East coast. So I don't rush to my computer at eight, right? Like I know I have till nine, like there's no reason for me to rush in and get ahead. It's like, I know I'm going to be working till at least six thirty, six o'clock because people are on the West coast. So like, why would I do that to myself? <laughs> like give myself the morning. I wake up earlier than I used to. And then I spend a good amount of the day, really time blocking, making sure I have breaks. I work fully remote. So the days can feel really long. And I do think it, it's been an interesting experience being so growing a child at the same time as like being in a board meeting has been very interesting. And to think about like the other, you know, folks in this meeting will never experience that, right? That's not something that they're going to ever, they have a lot of empathy for me and they've been really wonderful and supportive, but it has been really interesting for me to think like they're never going to have to make concessions about their health versus maybe they're also dealing with other health things, but in terms of pregnancy, you're not going to have to deal with that. And I've been thinking a lot about when I come back to work, like, what is that going to look like? I'm getting a really excellent leave, which is awesome. When I come back, my baby's going to be in daycare and I'm the one that works from home. So I'll be on the emergency pickup, right? But my husband works a very strict day and he's home early. So he's able to do the pickup every day. So I think having a really good support system at home is super important. My husband's really, really supportive of my career and always has been. I have the crazier of the two careers. So like the less predictable. <laughs> so he's really supportive. So I know it's a really long answer, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot, especially where I'm at right now, for sure. No, motherhood changes your perspective on work-life balance. I, I knew when I had my daughter, I have a two-year-old. When I had my daughter, I knew that that was going to be something that was really important. And you talk about, you know, your, your morning routine is sacred. What became for me, it was those time blocks that I, as a mother who was working from home, working remote and was pumping at home, still needed oh those time blocks. You know, I didn't want to go off camera and pump while I was on a call or on a one-on-one. And so for me, like it became, that was my boundary that I had to tell people like, you cannot book over meetings, that you cannot book over time slots on my calendar anymore. And I think that since you've already established that habit, it's going to be a lot easier for you to make that transition. And sometimes, you know, once people realize they're like, oh, Right. I probably shouldn't in general do that to anyone. It creates better habits. <laughs> I think of people around you. I also think I've realized with certain kinds of work, there's only so much your brain can do in a day. Unless you're like, I think founders are kind of a separate breed. Like I sometimes think they are like a whole separate breed of person. 
but I don't have an 11 hour day in me anymore. Like I don't have a 10 hour day in me anymore. I have a, a, a awesome eight. <laughs> You're going to get the best of me for eight. And then I can answer a few things like, like that are not super brain needed outside of that time. But like, if you book a meeting on my calendar from five 30 to six 30 to really get like, I had one yesterday. That was like a big strategy meeting. And I was like, guys, I, you're not going to have the best I can offer you. I can give you 60 minutes. They are probably worth about 13 morning minutes, though. So if we could like move this meeting, if you really need me, then I think we should probably move it. Right. And I think it's just understanding yourself in that way, too, that we're all we're all human. And I think especially as the work gets more and more hairy, <laughs> which I feel like is what happens as you go further up the org chart. It's not just checking boxes on a, on a, you know, a a list. It's like, you really need the best kind of your brain can give. And I, I know there's only certain times of of the day and only so, only so many hours that my brain can do that. No, that's super smart. And I think that goes back to the, like thinking on your feet, being able to have that, those critical analysis skills, like you can't do that solid for eight hours in a row. Like your your brain doesn't work. No one's brain does. (laughs) No. And I'm not like, yeah. And then sometimes I like give myself a break by going back to the like, oh, I just need to schedule some meetings. (laughs) So I'll go to that if I'm feeling burnt out, right? Like that, or like I had to, you know, there's like these four emails that are brainless that I just need to answer that I need to get off my plate, right? I think it's knowing yourself really well, I think is really what it comes down to and knowing what what your capacity is and what it isn't. No, that's totally, that's totally fair. And I think that's a skill we all have to learn at some point. So one other question I have is, have you ever experienced any bias as a woman in tech? And how did you handle it? So yes, I also think I got this a little too, because I was young. Um, So I was like a young woman as a like leader, I was in my like mid to late 20s. So it depends on how you define young. But in the context of where I was, I was on the younger side. So I think I was dealing with kind of a few things there. In my first tech job, I experienced multiple times like me contributing an idea to something. And then like I would sit in a full team meeting and it would get presented by two men for their presentation. I would be like, that's really interesting. (laughs) Like I could have helped present that, you know, like there are certain things like that. Or I would like there were a few instances where I would write an email and this particular person would CC like some of the like higher ups on that email and then just reiterate what I said. I would be like, that is literally exactly what I just said. You just wanted to make sure that you took that and brought it to a broader group. I actually found in that context, I was able to confront those people pretty easily and just say like, hey, this is an exact example of like what happens to women often. And so I just want to make you aware of it and just let you know that like, that didn't feel great for me. And I would love to be included in the future or someone on my team. Like I, I've I've often managed teams of mostly women and you can always kind of use it as like, I want to make sure they have the opportunity. So if you don't feel comfortable talking about yourself, you can kind of use it as making sure your peers have the opportunity or your direct reports. All of those scenarios, I actually had really good feedback of most of them just being like, I didn't even notice I did it. Like I had no, like it went right over my head. Like, it's just something I've always done. I didn't notice I did it. And I think I was able to build really kind of like psychologically safe relationships with a lot of my male peers. And they would often look to me as like, unfortunately, like the token woman to tell them if they're doing the wrong thing, which was like, not my favorite, but is something that I I felt like I was making a difference because I would watch their behavior change and watch them be more thoughtful and like we were doing a rebrand and I looked into the meeting room and I was like, there are eight men in that room. Like 
how, and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> like diverse thought is really important when you're talking about a rebrand. Like they came out with some of the craziest one-liners that I was like, you can't say that, like certain things like that. And they're like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Let's go ahead and take a quick break to learn about an amazing event coming up hosted by Ladybird Talent. Are you ready to step into the future? Join us at Hire Women Week, a groundbreaking hybrid event dedicated to challenging biases and uplifting women in tech and leadership. From January 22nd through 26th, you'll explore job opportunities, match up with a mentor, learn from industry leaders, and connect with like-minded women and hiring teams. Ready to sign up? Registration is free at HireWomenWeek.com. This January, chart your path and change the game at Hire Women Week. Sometimes you just need to call it out right in a way that is like, I'm not shaming them for their behavior. I know that everyone has a different strategy here. But for me, it's always worked to say like, hey, this is what I experienced based on this very specific event. It always like had to be around like a specific incident, not just like general, because I think that then people get defensive and feel like they didn't do it. And just say, hey, next time, like, I would really appreciate if this kind of went differently. And yeah, I don't experience it as much now. But I think it's because I surround myself with a lot of amazing women in tech. Like, I did get invited to an executive dinner a few months ago, and there was 26 people there. And I was one of two women. Wow. That's and I was like, it's also uncomfy. I was like, I don't like this. I was like, I and I forget I almost forget that that's still a reality because I've done such like an, a good job <laughs> of surrounding myself with people like yourself and a lot of other women that I've looked to as like mentors over time. It was it was a little jarring. And I did give feedback to say like, like, this is not a good position to put me in either. If I had known I was going to be the only woman at this dinner, I was the only one until another one showed up like a little late. I was like, I may not have con. <laughs> like, it was just like a little, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I had it in me, right? Um, I was also pregnant. So it was just like, I was feeling very womany at the time. I was like, I, I was like, when I'm sure it was so, a net where people it was drinking and you can't oh, yeah. drink and like, it just, there's yep. nothing to diffuse the situation. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I could not consume the free wine either. So it was, and I think like, I was fine, but I do think that it, it still exists a lot more than we think it does sometimes because we've made our own communities for sure. And it's not just women, it's like just underrepresented communities that are just not as, it's clearly, we have a long way to go, I think, for sure. Well, and I think that that's actually a really good thought for people who plan events, because that's not like I don't personally plan a lot of events. But when I if I was to invite a group of executive leaders, I might want to actually like run through that list and make sure that we at least have gender diversity, if nothing else, because, you know, you may just have a list of names, but inviting an entire group of men with just two women, that is that seems like maybe you didn't look at that list and think about it before you did it. Yeah. And it was, it was funny because I walked in and, or it's not funny. That's not the way I should describe this. It was uncomfortable because I walked in and I heard a guy say, Oh, are there going to be any women here? Oh, I think Shannon's here. So it's not the first time. It is clearly not the first time this has happened. And I think that, and I think what the situation with this was, is it, it was like, they offered it to a very large group of people. Whoever said yes, they just accepted. And I think we have to be more thoughtful than that. I think we can't just let, because this will just continue to perpetuate, right? If same thing with hiring, like, well, we put the post out, only men applied. It's like, okay, well, who did you reach out to? Like, who are your connections with? Are, is your network all men? Like, is your net, like, I think there's been a lot of really great discussion around 
diversity sourcing for hiring. And it's not just about like making sure you hire women. It's just like, did you source in a diverse way, right? Like, did you go to multiple communities? Did you is go outside of your own bubble, outside of your own, you know, college friend group, (laughs) which, you know, like, is there, and I had a really good time at this dinner was fine, but I was like, well, that took a lot out of me. Like, I felt like very much looked to as like the, the one woman that had a perspective on this thing. Right. Which I think, yeah, it was definitely, it was a reminder to me that that community that I've fostered for myself is not necessarily always reality. Well, and that's largely why I wanted to have these conversations with other female leaders, because I think it becomes really easy when you surround yourself with female leaders to forget yeah. that is the reality until you walk into that room, until you are the only woman in the room. And you're, you have to kind of step back and be like, okay, like, how do I present myself in this situation that I might not do if it was, you know, 30, 70%, you know, diverse versus just being, I am literally the only one here. Yeah. And I have been really the, the leader in my career that has been most impactful to me was a man. So I'm not saying that it's not possible. This person gave me so much growth and mentored me and has done this historically for a lot of women. So there are tons of allies out there. It's not that I only surround myself with women, but I think I surround myself with a more diverse pool, right? Of, of thought, of age, of, of, you know, like I have lots of folks that I meet with that have been in the game for 20 years. And then some of us that are first time VPs, I think that there's, it's really valuable to get, to get a big, like diverse set of experiences uh, and perspectives on this stuff. I think you just kind of tied into the next question I want to talk about, which was mentorship. And as far as you, you know, you kind of mentioned that you have a mentor that you really, you know, look up to, how did you identify that person and how have you maintained that relationship over time? Yeah, I actually have started to build my first like personal board this year. This is something that the CEO of my current company really speaks very highly to of his uh, for his own experience. And so I do have a CMO that I've worked that I've worked for that I really just value his opinion a lot. And I look to him. I don't know if he knows he's my mentor, but I think he, I think he does. And I think that usually I would say you should probably have a more uh, explicit conversation about that. But he's definitely someone I feel like I can always go to and and check in with. And I've learned just so much from, right? I think that's... And keeping in contact with that person and letting them know that there's someone that's made a big impact on you, I think is just the first step, right? Like I'm also still in contact with all of my direct reports that I've ever managed in my career because they know that I care. I want to stay connected. And it means a lot to me to, to hear that from them when they're going through something in their career and they want my perspective. Like that's that's awesome. I, I'm happy to to spend the time to do that. And then I have gone into some executive communities and reached out to folks that have different profiles than I do. So I come up through content and brand. So I have, I don't have as much demand and ops experience as some others. So I have found one person that has a pretty similar background to me and then one that has completely different, right? So get to meet with them monthly or every other month to kind of show them my strategy, see what I'm dealing with. And they love to give, they give feedback. So it should be beneficial to them too. They should be learning as well. And so, yeah, I have some folks that are more like friendships, like personal relationships that are kind of mentors in that way. And then some that are more thoughtfully created relationships for kind of like professional development. So I love that idea of a personal board. Dial a little bit more into that and tell me kind of how, how is it recommended to you? And like, how are you going about building that? Yeah. So if you work for a company that's willing to give like any kind of like like if you're on an executive board and they're willing to give like equity in the company or something, that's a really good way to like make them feel really invested in your success. That may not be obviously true for everyone. 
But the way that I think about it is you often will build a board for a company with like lots of different skill sets, right? And, and perspectives. So you want to bring people onto this board that are, that are going to challenge you, right? That are going to ask you questions that you don't really want to hear. It's not the comfiest. And, but then there's also some others that you're like, oh, I can see myself as this person because they had a similar, they came up similar to me, right? Which is also, I think, really helpful. So I often go about what I've done. I often, I've only done this once. I have, what I, what I did here is I had just initial conversations with a few folks. I didn't make them commit. This is, this was really good feedback I got from my CEO who's done this a few times. He's like, don't make them commit to being like your mentor right away. Have a few one-on-one conversations with them, see if they're valuable for both of you, and then see if it makes sense to have like kind of a more consistent cadence. This is something I'm still working on. I wish I was better at it. I think maybe when I come back to work, I'll (laughs) re-engage. That's the other thing. Kind of a lot going on right now. But I, and I love the different perspectives. So like not everyone is going to want to meet every month, but some folks will do quarterly. Some folks are like, hey, let's just do async, like just be available on Slack or like you're connected or for phone calls. But just being really purposeful about it and making sure they they are also getting value out of the relationship as well. And yeah, it's been I've really appreciated the time that folks have spent with me over the last you know two quarters. And I'm I'm hoping to do a much better job and formalize it even more in the future. I love that. That's you know they say you are the most like like the average of the three people you spend the most time with. And I think that's a great way to make sure that those people are people who you want to aspire to be or who can help you grow, you know, rather than just kind of falling into either a career rut or just a personal rut. And I think once you get into a leadership position, and you could probably speak to this too, you don't have peers. Like there are not three VPs of marketing in my company. There is one, there is a vice president of customer success, but her job is like pretty different than mine. Right. And I see her as my peer and she's amazing, but she's not navigating the exact same kind of like day to day that I am. And it gets pretty lonely. (laughs) Like, and also you can get really in your head about these like big things that like, if you haven't seen them before feel really hard. And I think it's so critical. I found so much value out of executive communities and just meeting with peers, especially as a first time VP that I just, I'm sure, I'm sure it will be valuable my whole career, but really valuable now to get that perspective and And not just one perspective, but multiple, right? There's lots of ways to solve the problems that we're all looking to solve. Oh, absolutely. Because there are things that sometimes you come up against a challenge that you just literally cannot workshop internally. You can't, can't, you know, brainstorm. How do you get improve someone's performance with your team? And depending on how your leadership structure is, like you might not really have somebody who you can ask that for. And so to be able to go out to, you know, other people who have managed people and you don't have to tell them the specifics, but it's like, Hey, I really need some help, like building a performance plan for somebody, or I really need some help overcoming this challenge that I just can't discuss with the people who report to me and no one else. Comp plans. Yeah. Comp comp plans are so tricky too. Like this was for me, my job now is the first time I had managed salespeople and having to come up with a comp plan and I've never done sales. So my understanding of that was just out in la la land. And I had to ask. So complicated. (laughs) Percent. I'm like, you don't just get paid. Like why? Like what is an accelerator? Like there's like, (laughs) Why do you guys need to be spiffed all the time? Like, I don't understand. Like, that's, I had a, the same thing when I f- first started managing SDRs. It was like, like, I don't know. Like, I have, like, there's my marketing team, like, has a variable, but it's based on pipeline performance, right? And then, but I mean, they know it's very variable, right? Whereas I think, yeah, I have had the same experience. And I, re- I reached out to a lot of people to ask them how they, how they navigated that. 
Yeah, or spiffs, you know, just you can't create a spiff that you can't track. I think that's a fun lesson is that like you actually do need to be able to track a spiff. It's it's not just like, hey, go do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I didn't even know what a spiff was, to be fair. I like kind of knew what it was because I worked with, but I worked with a huge sales team at QuickBase. There was like 150 of them. So it was like totally different than now we have two reps, right? Which is really different. So yes, there's just, a, there is an inf- infinite number of things that you will come up against that you've never seen before. So having support is really critical. 100% agree. Well, the last question I have for you, and we're kind of almost right at that at time. So what is your must read or watch right now? Like, what is it that you're, you know, either enjoying personally, or that is helping you grow professionally? And you can share one of both. Yeah, let me think. I, in terms of professional, like reading, I always send people first, especially if it's a woman that's going to be a first time manager or first time leader. I always send her to Brene Brown every time. I think Dare to Lead is the first time I read a book that I felt like I saw myself in. I was like, wait, this is how I want to lead. Like, I want to lead with empathy and vulnerability and make people feel like they are, they can work within their strengths. And also, but I am definitely also clear about expectations and what good looks like and things like that. And I think that is definitely whenever I see a woman that's leading teams for the first time and is like trying to read all these books written by men about how to manage people and teams. Like I never felt like I saw myself in them. Like I was like, I get it kind of, but like, this feels like it's missing like the human component (laughs) of managing people. Um, Simon Sinek gets close, but still, I think is still a little like, and so I would say reading Brene Brown specifically dare to lead is like the one that I, that I always recommend. And I also consistently follow lots of folks like on LinkedIn and things like that. So I can stay up to date, right. I'm not a huge like professional book reader. I'm more of like a consumer of like micro content most often. And then I don't watch, I'm trying to think of, I have really terrible taste in TV. I have, I'm now watched 10 seasons of the new Hawaii Five-0. It's terrible. It's like mindful meditation. It is. It's like the end of the day, it just goes on. I don't have to think about it. I have no feelings about it. It's just like on in the background uh, while I'm cooking dinner or laying in bed pretty early these days. So, but yeah, not, I don't know if it's the best of, of suggestions. So <laughs> I love it though, because sometimes when your brain works really hard all day, you just need that mindless, whatever that mindless thing is. And I think that yes. that's, a, that's a great example. I had no idea that there were 10 seasons of that. I 100% thought that it was only like five. <laughs> Well, to be fair, I'm hoping it gets me to the end of my pregnancy. If it doesn't, I'm going to panic because I have nothing left. <laughs> There's got to be a spinoff somewhere. <laughs> yeah, my husband was like, I swear our kid's going to like, like come out singing the Hawaii Five-0 theme song because he's listened to so many <laughs> episodes so far. But it's helpful after a long day of thinking, you know, it's very helpful. Well, thank you so much, Shannon, for joining us. I really appreciate it. And I hope everybody else enjoyed hearing your story as much as I did. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it too. Yeah. And I'm happy to talk to folks anytime about any of these topics. I am very passionate about them. So thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Sassy. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or join us on LinkedIn at Sassy Podcast to stay in the know about future episodes and guests.